podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of the catchly named podcast that is not a podcast podcast. And it's come to you slightly later this week because I've been working on a weekend. And after a real-life Formula 1 driver last week, this show features a just-as-real team boss. It's none other than McLaren Racing CEO Zach Brown to talk about F1 politics, McLaren's IndyCar status and all sorts of topics that you want to ask him. Zach, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast that is not a podcast podcast and on a Saturday, so you don't even take a day off during lockdown. How are you doing? I'm doing good, except normally Saturday's qualifying, so I'm, I'm preparing for getting back to work on Saturdays. I was going to say, we'd be in Zandvoort right now, wouldn't we? We would be in Zandvoort right now. I think we'd be on pole, and no one's ever going to be able to prove me wrong. <laughs> right, that's the, <laughs> that's the title of this piece already. <laughs> now, I can see you're taking it professionally, because I make sure everyone has a drink on this show. I've got a beer, and you've gone for water, because I guess because it's qualifying day. Because it's qualifying day. I can't drink and, uh, and, and race, and... Uh, and I'm uh, I, and I'm on a diet, so beer, beer is not very good for that. Okay, well, there's actually questions about your diet uh, later from fans. But before we get to the fan questions, because uh, for this podcast, I don't tell anyone any questions in advance, and you're no different. But the first few are, are from me because uh, there's been a lot going on in Formula One recently, and it's not every day you get to a bit of time with a team boss. So you've been really punchy actually over the past week or so regarding some of the matters within Formula One and what's been going on particularly things like Mattia Bonotto's stance on uh, budget caps and just the way that Formula One should approach this crisis. So what's been really frustrating you at the moment? Well, um, I think what's frustrating me is we have the ability to not only survive in these times, but, but ultimately come out and, and thrive. And the sport has been uh, out of balance, uh, you know, really forever. And um, things don't go on forever if you have a uh, we're too big to fail mentality. And so um, maybe because I've been around the sport for so long before running a team that I have a bit of a uh, put the sport first uh, mindset. And I think there's a a real opportunity here to uh, level the playing field, which is what the uh, fans want. And not only level the playing field, making sure all the players can play because um, it's tough times. And while the uh, wealth on the grid is as kind of strong as ever, I think the people that own teams, if they feel they don't have a shot at being competitive, then why are they in the in the sport? And um, I think there's a couple teams that uh, can afford this crisis more than others, but I think they run a real risk of um, at the extreme, putting the sport uh, out of business. And so it's very frustrating uh, to see that they don't see the bigger picture, that, you know, we can make the pie bigger and maybe they have a slightly smaller piece of the pie, but the pie is a lot bigger than having the entire pie when the pie might be real small if uh, we keep up uh, our, our old habits. Yeah, I know you were uh, very outspoken about a week ago. Has there been any progress over the last week behind closed doors? Any more meetings going on? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very uh, optimistic. I think uh, the FIA and, and Formula One uh, recognize the situation we're in and are pushing very hard uh, to get the budget cap uh, down in, in the uh, neighborhood in which uh, the majority 
other teams needed to be to operate. So I think they recognize the issue. And I've been really, really happy with how hard they've been pushing. So, you know, you see the FIA uh, at the World Council meeting last week put through a uh, uh, kind of uh, special circumstances uh, vote to be able to lower the, the threshold. And I think that's all uh, them looking to, to push through what is the uh, right level of spend uh, for the sport to uh, make sure we have a sport coming out of this. And, and then I believe the sport's going to be uh, healthier, which will be a, a better product for fans. Yeah. Do you think we're going to get to a point that's typical F1 where no one's happy, uh, but that there will be a, an acceptable compromise? Or is this going to go the other way where it's going to have to blow up for anything to be finalised? Um, no, I'm optimistic we'll land in a place where, you know, this 130, 135, I don't love that. I'd, I'd like to see it lower. Um, majority of the other teams would like to see it lower because don't forget the budget cap. We talk about 130, 140, 150. We're spending somewhere between 75 to 150 million on top of that. So that's not the budget cap. That's a part of the budget that has a budget cap. So it's still a, a crazy amount of money to, to, at the end of the day, put on a, a great show for the fans. So um, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm loving 130, 135. Um, and, and I know the teams that have to come down to that aren't loving it. So I think uh, usually any good deal is a, a meet in the middle and everyone feels a little bit bruised. And I think uh, that's hopefully where it will land. Yeah, and, and it seems very political at the moment, though, because obviously everyone's kind of hiding away in their own bunkers because of the global situation. And I don't know if that strengthens opinions, but does it feel like the most political time you've been involved in? Because there's so much going on. Yeah, it's certainly the most political since I've been involved. But, you know, I've only been involved uh, going on my fourth season. Uh, you know, I certainly was involved in the sport, but not from a team perspective back, um, what was it, 08, 09, when... Um, the new Concord was signed and they were talking about breakaway series. And Max was talking about a budget cap at 40 million. So it, it was pretty intense uh, then. So in, in my era, this is certainly the most political uh, it's been, but I, I think we've been here before. Um, but unfortunately, when we've been here before in the past, I don't think we've landed uh, in a great place. And so I think we have a real opportunity here. And, and how quickly does F1 need to make decisions from your point of view? I think we need to make them now because people are making decisions. You know, we're all out of contract. So if you're going to go racing or not in 21, you need to make that decision now. So I think what we can't do, which is what historically has happened, is kick the can down the road and just hope that things get you know, better in the future. I think we, we need to go now. Otherwise, people are going to make decisions based on the information they have now and I believe if we didn't change the sport you would see some teams exit yeah and you've got quite a unique viewpoint as a racer because you've got a foot in a number of camps certainly we can talk about IndyCar as well and what it's going through right now McLaren having really entered that this year unfortunately not started racing yet but how have you seen their handling of the situation and is there anything that each category can learn from the other uh, yeah, I think, you know, Roger Penske is, is the right owner of uh, IndyCar at the, at the right time. I, I've got a huge amount of uh, admiration and respect for him, as I think the entire uh, industry has. He's been uh, decisive in his decision making. You know, he put out a schedule early. Um, he's had to modify it, but I think his view is let me put a stake on the ground and show people what our intent is. And if we need to modify it uh, due to the, the conditions, I think that was a 
a good move. He, he's already moved around the you know some some race venues. Um, he's communicating very well. You know, the one thing that uh, IndyCar doesn't have to worry about that Formula One spends a disproportionate amount of time is on the technical rules. So when I sit in a team boss meeting in IndyCar, they're much more swift. They're much more aligned. Uh, they just want to go racing. Uh, Roger provides great leadership. Uh, where you get into the F1, you're, you're arguing over technical rules the entire time. And Sometimes you don't see the uh, forest through the trees, so to speak. And um, so I think the simplicity of the decision-making, uh, the uni uh, unity of the racing teams in IndyCar is, is much better than in Formula One. I think, um, you know, Formula One's a very uh, political uh, beast. But again, they need, we need to be careful during these times. Yeah. And, and from an IndyCar perspective, though, because you're new to it full time this year, how damaging has it been? Because you were preparing and building for that return and then suddenly it's all had to stop. Yeah. For, from, from our standpoint, there's been some uh, benefit and that benefit being we were trying to you know, bring together uh, McLaren and, and SPM while finishing a season, while starting a season. And so to you know, we've got quite a few people at McLaren dedicated to the IndyCar program. And it was, you know, tight trying to integrate them while going racing. And, and uh, so this pause is that from that standpoint, from a uh, McLaren SPM uh, technical collabor collaboration integration, it's actually been a good thing. Um, I would say that that relationship is much further along now because we've been able to focus on it versus, hey, let's integrate you, but I also got to have one eye on going racing. So uh, our sponsor uh, partners, uh, Aero and BAT and Automation Anywhere, Lucas, they've, they've all been uh, great. Um, you know, we've got Fernando on, on board, probably gives us a little bit more time to prepare for, for Indy. So other than our desire to go racing and our frustration that we're, we're all sitting at home, I actually think this this pause button that we've hit from, from our standpoint has been a positive because of how much um, uh, newness there was to the relationship. It's given some time for that to mature. Yeah, and over in the States, NASCAR is going to be racing in two weeks from now. Looks like IndyCar hopefully following next month. Um, do you think that looks like a realistic time frame? And are you going to be watching what NASCAR does to kind of get a gauge on it? Yeah, I think it's great that NASCAR is going, uh, you know, going racing because I think once people can see that, that the kind of closed door racing works, I think that'll give everyone uh, confidence. Uh, you know, I'm not sure with Texas, or some Eddie Gossage's comments about, you know, we won't race with fans, and, but it's on the schedule, but I'm not sure if we will. So I'm not sure where that stands. I think Road America, because it's such a big track, uh, you could probably have fans there and, and um, because you don't really kind of sit in many grandstands, you tend to wander this, four mile beautiful uh, uh, area uh, that you could probably have fans there and still have social uh, distancing. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm ready for, for racing. I'm enjoying watching the esports, but uh, you know, I want to, uh, I want to see the real thing too. Yeah. There's quite a few fan questions about esports actually. We'll jump on that in a bit, but um, just from switching back to the F1 perspective, then that's a longer lead time before the season starts. But is there a bit of light at the end of the tunnel now for you with the fact that Ross Braun's come out and said, Austria's a, a real hard target and, and here's how we're going to do it as well. Yeah, I, th I think, um, 
the plan they have looks, you know, pretty, pretty achievable, uh, realistic. You know, we can all fly in. There's a, uh, an Air Force base, uh, military base right next to the circuit. So we can all, you know, kind of fly in in there and avoid having to go through you know, Heathrow and major airports, go straight to the track. I think we probably, uh, you know, block our own, our own hotels. So kind of you can see how you can get in and out of there in a pretty, uh, in a bubble-like uh, manner, and then come back to Silverstone. Maybe you go back to Luton. Again, you avoid, you know, Heathrow, and, and you maybe race there twice. So I think we, I, you know, I can see how we get those four races in. Then we go off to Hungary. Um, and, and, you know, I think, you know, plan A is you then head to, uh, to Asia. Uh, and if you find that maybe getting on planes, uh, going over the water, it's too much maybe you just stay in Europe but uh, I'm optimistic that we'll get in 14 15 16 races I think we could do as many as 18 but I'm going to assume that um, there's a bump or two along the way and uh, would guess that maybe that's going to be over 10 or 11 circuits and I, I, I think that would be a great season if we can pull that off yeah and looking forward to seeing your fellow team bosses when you finally get to do that uh, some of them <laughs> yeah, <I bet. laughs> um, now, which one would you say is most frustrating, though, in terms of a season not starting? Was it IndyCar because of that anticipation of returning, or was it F1 because of the momentum you built up? Um, well, really both, because I love my racing. So, you know, I'll be at one or the other. Uh, Formula One, for me, uh, takes, uh, you know, my, my priority as far as, you know, if there's two races in one weekend, I was killing me that St. Pete and Australia were the first uh, – First races, I'd like to be at both, but uh, I was in Australia, as you know. Um, I'll do Indianapolis, waiting to see what the actual F1 schedule looks like. So, you know, I, I tend to go to three quarters of the Formula One races. And then in IndyCar, I was planning on going to, a, you know, quarter of the races and, and then, a, you know, getting a few sports car races in when I can. So I pretty much live at racetracks. Yeah, I was going to say, you have a, a heck of a busy schedule, and that is something that we do come on to with the, with the fan questions. Now, you've mentioned the uh, eSports a little bit ago, and Lando's taken to IndyCar's eSports like a duck to water with his win at Cota. Um, so have you got the drivers, the wrong drivers in the wrong teams that you're saying? <laughs> I think Lando wants to race in both series. So, yeah. uh, no, he's, um, you know, he's the new generation driver. We're, um, we're actually going to have some fun... Uh, we put together a little esports club, and we're going to race some uh, uh, supercars around uh, Silverstone. Uh, myself, uh, Poulter, uh, Lando, Carlos, Oliver, Pato, uh, Latifi, and Dario. So I've got Poulter in there to make sure there's someone I can run with, <laughs> and uh, you know it. Uh, but it should be good. Uh, it should be good fun. Yeah, I bet. We do get onto your racing career pretty soon, actually. But um, sort of switching to some of these questions, we had loads coming in from Reddit. And one of the follow-up ones was based on esports, um, which is kind of a bit of a touchy one because it was, uh, have you been sort of watching what your drivers are doing in terms of streaming? And does it make you nervous at all? Have you had to have any words with them about being careful that they're still representing a brand when they're, when they're out there? Because the Kyle Larson instance, the one that gets flagged up. Yeah, the um, uh, Kyle one was, was unfortunate. Uh, obviously a terrible situation. Um, I do watch, but I don't watch because I'm concerned about um, what they'll do. You know, we have uh, very well-behaved uh, uh, racing drivers who have great personalities, and I think that comes through in their Twitch feeds and, and all the uh, 
a social media activity that they do. But, um, you know, fortunately, I don't have to uh, knock on wood. I uh, had to, to uh, worry about any uh, incidents like Kyle. OK, well, uh, another question is about one of your other drivers, uh, Carlos, and it ca- came in on Reddit. I'm going to try some of these usernames, but they're going to be terrible. I think this is Tida Sales, because it's a Spanish one, I think. But it's, are you in better shape yet than Carlos? Like you said, you would be soon on Drive to Survive. Um, well, I haven't seen him in a while, but I'm going <laughs> to guess no. <laughs> I am in much better shape, but I wouldn't say I've caught Carlos yet. Well, yeah, because, I mean, you drive a lot of cars. There was actually a question, Jenny. This is a legitimate question, which I wasn't going to put in, but I am. Someone asked who said he's a big guy himself and he thought he could never be a racer. And then he sees you driving some <laughs> tiny little old Formula One cars. And he says, how do you do it, basically? Like, how difficult is it? Like, what's it like? And, and is that one of the reasons that you are now saying that you're on a diet? <laughs> yeah, it, um, it's tight. That's for sure. Uh, some of them are too tight, so I can't slide in all of them. The, the newer cars, because of the safety, and you got to be able to pull the driver out with the seat. Those those cockpits are actually quite big. The the older ones are uh, are pretty snug. But uh, where there's a will, there's a way. And uh, certainly, uh, uh, being on the, uh, the the weight loss program has some uh, not only health benefits, but means I can squeeze in a few more cars. Yeah. Good, good work. I, I must admit, a, a lot of people I think are trying to lose weight, but it's not easy in lockdown. So uh, <laughs> admire that. Um, another question, though, coming in about your racing from Leon Professional, who says they just love to hear a story about a race you participated in, a great pass, a close call, off-track excursion, messing around with teammates, anything that probably people wouldn't have heard about from your time racing. So what's been, I guess, what's been your best moment behind the wheel? Um, I've had a few, um, unfortunately, just a few. Uh, but the, you know, some that stand out, I won the, uh, 2008, uh, Montreal Grand Prix in, in the Ferrari challenge, which was, uh, the Sunday before the, you know, the big race and, uh, qualified second, uh, made a pass. You know, there's that little kink on the, uh, front straight. I got pushed onto the grass and kind of kept my foot in it, took the lead in turn one and, and won. And that was great because it was in front of a packed audience. And when I came down the formula one pit lane, a lot of my Formula One buddies came out and were giving me a high five. So it was cool to win that at that event. And then uh, Stefano Domenicali gave me the trophy on the podium. Uh, so that's, that's certainly a race that uh, I remember really well. Um, I would say finishing fourth uh, at the 24 Hours of Daytona with Martin Brundle and Mark Blundell and Mark Patterson was, was awesome. We were on the, <clears throat> the lead lap and just kind of racing with Martin and Mark who um, grew up watching, you know, never thinking in a million years, I'm sitting at home as a kid watching Martin Brundle that, you know, 10, 15 years later, I'm going to be racing with him. Um, so that was, that was pretty cool. And with my team, I've been able to race with Herbert and, you know, Hanson and Cheever. And uh, so I've enjoyed uh, racing against or with, I should say, uh, the guys there. And then, uh, and then some historic stuff. I've had some, uh, some good fun historic races, probably uh, winning from pole and Mario Andretti's Formal 5000 car with Dunaseka with a grid of about 40 cars. Uh, that, was, that was a ton of fun. Yeah, so if Stefano Domenicali gave you the trophy on the podium and you won in a Ferrari, you've clearly had good relationships with Ferrari team bosses before. <laughs> so, so there's potential. Um, I wish I could vouch for some of these stories, but the only time I've seen you racing was at Laguna Seca a few summers ago. And the car let you down when you were leading, I seem to remember. It was 2017 during the August break. 
Yeah, that would have been uh, maybe the my 935. I broke a gearbox. That sounds about yeah. right. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it definitely wasn't my fault. No, no, definitely not. I could tell by the look on your face afterwards when I thought I'd come and say hi and then thought, you know what? No, I'll leave it for a few weeks. Um, now, speaking of the sort of crossover that you've done, actually, you've, you've taken your love of all sorts of racing and, and really implanted that back in McLaren. Uh, but a question from Rorake comes in that says, would you rather win the Indy 500 with a McLaren car or finish fourth in the constructors again with McLaren F1? Indy 500. Is it all about winning? It's all about winning. If you would have said win Monaco in the McLaren F1, I, I would have had to given that a lot of thought. But winning the Indy 500, I mean, there's three races you want to win. It's Monaco, it's Indy, and uh, Le Mans. So uh, Fernando's got me all excited about uh, – yeah, my fantasy would be to uh, be the first team boss to win the Triple Crown with, uh, with McLaren. That would be – pretty uh pretty awesome so uh hopefully uh, hopefully i'll do it but it could take decades uh keep at it you've got plenty of time ahead um but similarly actually then if, if i spin that round what if it was a top three constructors championship finish this year that or winning the 500 Ooh, that's close probably the indy 500 you got to go with winning you, you got to yeah, put me that. a little you got to put me a little further up the grid you know if it was kind of even winning our first uh, F1 race since 2012, ooh, that would be uh, – I don't think I want to answer that one. Don't ask. <laughs> well, yeah, you've already told me you can't, basically. But, um, I'll let you think about that one a bit longer. Um, another question came in from Captain Pierce 72 uh, which says that they've been a McLaren fan since they started watching F1 from Australia 2008 uh, and recently visited New Zealand and stopped by Bruce McLaren's Heritage Museum at Hampton Downs. Uh, and says, when everyone's gone for the night, do you ever just slow down, walk around the MTC and take in just where you are uh, and what's come before you? And he says, you can imagine that you did that initially, but does that still still happen or is that special kind of feeling worn off? No, it, it happens every day, but actually it happens in the morning because uh, I get in early and uh, I like to start working the phone. And uh, so uh, usually at night I'm still flat out so i'll come in in the morning walk onto the boulevard and if i've got a call i'll just kind of stream up and down the boulevard looking at the cars so i pinch myself pretty much every day that's cool it is a heck of a setup you guys have got there i must admit uh there's there's some really special places in formula one but that boulevard and that array of cars which seems to change all the time how do you pick which cars you put on the boulevard uh, well, that's a very important project for me that I work with with uh, Michael Edgecombe on uh, quite a bit. It's um, it's like when you have a little Hot Wheel collection and you you know repark the garage all the time. I just do it with the the bigger version cars now. So there's uh, there's kind of one permanent setup unless we're we're featuring it and we've got Bruce McLaren um, Bruce's McLaren's first uh, race car. Uh, then we kind of go to the Papaya era and uh, his Formula One car from the British Grand Prix, uh, Denny Holmes uh, championship Can-Am car, and then Johnny Rutherford's Indy winner. So I kind of like that that captures, you know, that we've been in multiple disciplines. Then we move into our uh, Le Mans era, and then we go through our kind of Lauda. Well, we've got our first, you know, we had the first carbon fiber uh, chassis John Watson drove. So that, then we get into the uh, kind of marble era with, um, Nikki, Senna, Pro, so like to have all the championship. Then into the West era with uh, Mika and uh, Kimi, and then on to the Vodafone era uh, with uh, Fernando, Lewis, and and Button. 
and uh, it kind of works perfectly now. So when we create the next winning era, I'm not quite sure how we configure things, but that'll be a good problem to have. Yeah, I bet. What, one of the questions was from uh, Vulcan Hulo. I'm trying to give everyone a shout out if I can. Uh, what is your favorite McLaren car from before your time at the team? Uh, I think it has to be the MP44. Uh, that was just such a dominant, iconic uh, race car. Senna's first championship. Senna was my, my favorite driver. I think um, aesthetically, I think the Vodafone uh, era, um, those cars were spectacular. I mean, Ron um, had such a, a, an eye for design that you got to say, um, really up through the Vodafone era, I always thought the McLarens were the best looking race cars. Yeah, they, they did look good. Um, but you also have your own great collection. And ATW86 wants to know what one car, if you had to pick one, are you hoping to add to your collection? To add to my collection? Because um, you've got a big one. Yeah, I've got, I've got, I'm a car guy. Um, you, you know what I'd like? I'd like a Schumacher car. I don't have a Schumacher car. And, um, you know, he was one of, if not the, the greatest Formula One driver, certainly statistically. We'll see if Lewis gets him. I think it's going to be close. Uh, my favorite was Senna, but Schumacher was unbelievable. And uh, I don't have a Schumacher car, so I'd have to say Schumacher. There was also a follow-up that was, are you still trying to hope, uh, still hoping to get one of the Brabham cars from Bernie? Because apparently he pushed you to buy a lot of stuff from him when you came after one of those. Yeah, he said I can buy one. I just got to buy the 52 others to go along <laughs> with it. And that was a little bit out of my league. So, uh, yeah, I think Bernie, it's the, the problem is anytime you want something from Bernie, that's the worst time to negotiate with him. He's, uh, he's still uh, better than me at the negotiation game. So, I'd love to get a Brabham and, and love to get it directly from uh, Bernie. Maybe a, a PK would be uh, pretty cool. Yeah, that would be very cool. Um, now, I've only got a few more, but one of the ones that came in is a question I wanted to ask, but I thought I'd let a, a fan sort of put it in. There was a lot asking about whether you would get involved in other categories with McLaren outside of uh, IndyCar and Formula One because of cost saving that might be going on. Uh, but the specific one I wanted to ask about was IMSA and WEC with this LMDH formula. Is that something you're looking at? It is something that we're looking at. I think, um, you know, in an ideal world, we would that, that would be our motorsport uh, portfolio, Formula One, IndyCar, and, and sports cars, because they all uh, serve different purposes. They are all complementary to each other. Uh, I'm a big fan of what WEC and IMSA are doing together. Um, but with these decisions, just like IndyCar, you know, it took me some time to get that, uh, you know, put together and had some, you know, stops and starts and some, some good days and definitely some bad days, if not my worst day um, in, in racing. But, um, you know, you got to get back back on the horse and, and go. And so, yeah, if, if we can put to, if I can put together a, you know, front-running, uh, financially uh, sustainable uh, plan, uh, then I think we, we would enter sports cars. So right now with what's going on, we've got to you know, kind of one step at a time, you know, felt we've got our Formula One headed the right direction. Now we've just entered IndyCar. We've been waiting to see what happens with the rules on sports cars. Looks like it's going to land in the right place. I'm unsure whether it's going to be for 22 or 23, but I think once we pull through this and I feel Formula One's continuing to go the right direction under Andreas's leadership, IndyCar is going the right direction, then uh, you know, I might, uh, might get brave and start working on the next business plan. 
Uh, I guess part of that is also important to have partners on board and make sure that you're hitting targets with sponsors and hitting regions with them. A couple of questions came in. One from Goji to Go that says, you haven't announced a new sponsor in the past 35 seconds. Um, <laughs> so what's up with that, basically? <laughs> we've been on a roll. Uh, they've not been quite coming every 35 seconds. But uh, no, we've been, we've been having a lot of uh, commercial success. I think we landed um, seven new partners in the offseason, which I, I think is you know, definitely more than any other team on the grid and, and you know, probably similar to the rest of the grid combined. And that's um, you know, because we've got a great brand. Uh, we're, we're headed the right direction, great drivers, and a great marketing team and um you know they're doing a really good job and uh very proud and, and uh more to come and so we just have a, a lot of momentum on and off the track and and how damaging has this situation been though from that perspective because we had someone asking like has it put the brakes on any sponsorship deals or sort of hampered the way that any of them have been done um well it certainly put the brakes in the short term on on any uh, ongoing conversations because everyone's had to buckle down and you know, focus on the crisis. All of our current partners have been great. Uh, we're working with all of them to make sure that any lost value by doing fewer races, um, you know, we make that up to them. And uh, they know that that's, you know, that's a big uh, part of my background is the commercial side. So, I, uh, you know, recognize uh, the importance of, of sponsor partners and taking care of them. And um, so we have a plan with every single one on, you know, if we do 15 races, it means they've missed seven. How do we address that? And uh, they've all been been great. So um, we're doing good with our partners. And I think, um, you know, there'll be some companies that, lots of companies that are severely damaged by what's gone on. But then there'll also be some companies that are, you know, really strong based on, you know, what this has done and how it's changed habits of consumers. Uh, airlines are probably not an industry you'd be going uh, after at this at this moment, unfortunately, but you know if you're a you know e-commerce business, then you know what life's probably pretty good right now because people are living off the internet. So uh, you just got to maybe redirect the uh, the industries that you uh, pursue, and uh, then also this will be a time where aggressive marketers can uh, take some market share because people will. Uh, tighten up the the spending, but then the uh, you know aggressive, more bold marketers um, will 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 continue to go for it. Yeah, and and you mentioned that online stuff. I've got one more question for you before I let you go because I know Lando is virtually racing for you at, uh, at Indianapolis in about two and a half hours. Which you know, hopefully that means you're going to get that Indy 500 win you were talking about. Although we'll see how well that ages by the time I get this podcast out. Um, <laughs> but you're you are the boss at McLaren. But I'm going to finish off by making you boss of Formula One because of a question that came in from Flat Irving, who asks if you could change three things. So you've got a bit of leeway. Uh, three things in F1 as a whole, what would they be? Ooh, good question. Uh, well, definitely budget cap. At what number? Two, uh, I'd go 125. Okay. Um, governance. You know, I think... Uh, collectively the teams can't get out of their way most of the time when it comes to decision making and so i would um i think the people that own formula one who want what's best for formula one should be empowered to make more of the decisions than they are uh, currently uh, allowed to or can um and then i think the third what would the third be the third would be a 
um, an all-star race with team bosses. Oh, you're, you're really <laughs> keen for that one, aren't you? Uh, um, which track? Or oh, every weekend? I like Silverstone. Now, you know what? Monaco's cool. Why not? You've got to give Monaco a go. A go. And, what, and what's everyone driving? You're, you're the head of F1. You get to choose. Um, I'm in a McLaren, and with all due respect, everywhere else is in a minority. <laughs> oh, nice. So we're talking, it's not road cars. This is all-star racing, <laughs> Formula 1 cars. Oh, no, yeah, no, we got to do this the right way. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah, there's you in the MP44, and then you're picking the least competitive minority ever. <laughs> exactly. I like the way you're going to do that. Um, thank, uh, Zach, thank you very much for your time and for coming on the show. Hopefully I'll see you at a racetrack again sometime soon. But until then, I hope you and your family and friends stay well through all of this. Sounds good. You do the same. And uh, thank you to all you fans for uh, hanging in there, supporting us on eSports. And we'll be back putting on a good show for you soon. And uh, thanks to everyone else there for listening. Check out previous episodes of the podcast that is not a podcast podcast featuring Pierre Gasly, photographer James Moy, F1's Lawrence Barreto and ESPN's Nate Saunders on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or direct on Podbean. And for more pointless rambling, I'm on Twitter at Chris Medland F1 where new episodes are regularly flagged up. Hope you enjoyed listening. And if you didn't, don't worry, it's all over now. Sports Social Podcast Network.